Amen. Thank you, Sully. And welcome again to Holy Trinity this morning. To those of you who are online, at home, comfortable in this rainy day. Uh, I do want to just highlight uh, our thanks for mothers on this day. And uh, we kind of, at Holy Trinity, think of it in two ways. One is celebration. You would not have been brought into this world without the miracle of your mother and nurtured at a young age, but also recognizing that uh, there's pain and strain for some um, in this area. So we recognize both of those things. So welcome again to Holy Trinity. I'm going to ask you to find uh, a Bible on a digital device if you can, or uh, a hard copy of an actual Bible. Some of you actually have Bibles with analog pages. That's amazing. Way to go. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read the scripture together from uh, Acts, the book of Acts, and we'll be looking at chapter 15, verse 36 through 1610. There's uh, just a couple of scenes in this book that are strung together uh, in the text right here, and we're in a series that's continuing called To the Ends of the Earth which is about how the mission continues to expand. So this is the book of Acts, chapter six, sorry, 15, verse 36, and then through 16, verse 10. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. So that they separated from one another, Barnabas took Mark with them and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Maybe some of you here are Marie Kondo fans. Marie Kondo. Some of you, no. 
Marie Kondo has amassed approximately $8 million over the last decade or so telling people to clean up their rooms, basically. A little more sophisticated than that, but she published a book in 2014 called The, the Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. That's a quite elevated title, isn't it? Uh, the Life-Changing Magic, and, and those of you who have followed her on on uh, Netflix know that one of her key principles is does this thing spark joy if not throw it out and uh, her books have been have sold about 11 million copies in 40 different languages basically telling you how to get rid of mess and I have been thinking myself uh, about branching out into this industry a little bit maybe a little bit of a side hustle they they estimate that uh, House organization is going to be like a $1.7 billion per year industry. And so I've just been thinking about some of our own principles in our family. We have this one tidying up principle called DWAT, D-W-A-T, and it simply means don't waste a trip. And the, the basic idea is uh, if you're in the living room and you're going into the kitchen, be present and look around and see what else you can pick up. And so for us, this has become an ideology in our family, a, a spiritual principle in our family of uh, how to keep the house very tidy. I think that maybe the title would be the, the life-changing magic of Dwat. Maybe that would work for us. They, uh, we, this actually does become like a bit of a joke in our family that you, you, like, you can't even leave before you think through the next step. When I was a waiter many, many years ago, they called this just saving steps, but Dwat has a little more of a ring to it, I think. And the idea is, uh, even on a long trip, you may be traveling cross-country, but is there anything along the way, like an outlet mall where one of the kids maybe could get some shoes? We call that Dwat, all right? Why do we do that? It's because we want efficiency. We don't like our lives to be messy. How can somebody make $8 million on helping you to tidy up your life? It's because for the most part, if we could get rid of the mess in our lives, we would like to. The problem is life is not that linear. Life doesn't always go in a straight line. Sometimes you think you're going towards this destination and... God redirects you towards this destination somewhere else. Sometimes you think that you are supposed to achieve this objective, and God has in store for you disappointment instead. There's a mystic whose name is Thomas Merton, that in 1968, in the last century, and he had a phrase which says that the greatest enemy of Christianity is efficiency. Now, what he means by that, he's a, he, was a, he was a monk, okay? So what he meant by that is trying to do everything with too much efficiency loses the chance to see if God is actually present in the mess. So the title of my sermon today is just God in the Mess because the passage that we're about to look at is very nonlinear and it's messy. It involves broken relationships it involves closed doors and redirection and new relationships. And my charge to you this, this morning is to just ask you to look for God in the mess rather than thinking that he's not present in the mess. So will you just pray with me um, as we get started? Our Father in heaven, we thank you.
that despite the fact that our, our lives uh, are messy, that Jesus' route in his life was, from our perspective, nonlinear. That rather than moving straight to triumph in heaven, rather than moving to ruling with you on the throne, he came this wayward way down to be with us, taught us how to live, how to follow you, and then went to the cross to pay our debts. And so help us to see that our lives are not always to be efficient, that they will contain broken relationships, disappointment, and closed doors. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. There's three basic uh, movements in the text here today. There's, there's a disagreement that happen, happens at the end of chapter 15. There's a new relationship that is established with Timothy, and then there's a closed door that happens right at the last little section. And what I want to do is just, I'm going to draw out three very practical principles for um, navigating life in the mess, and I'm going to tell you what they are up front. One is, I'm going to call it multiply for growth. That is, look for opportunities to grow. The second one I'm going to call is look for the leaders, find the leaders. And the third one is just to follow the Spirit. Um, the first little scene, which I'm just going to draw a principle out of, of uh, make room for growth or multiply for growth, comes in verses uh, 36 to 41 of the, the previous chapter or chapter 15. And there it says, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city. This is, what's, this is the beginning of what's called the second missionary journey in the book of Acts. There are three missionary journeys. They all start in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. There's a prayer meeting there that I like to call the prayer meeting that changed the world. Five leaders are together. They're worshiping, they're fasting, and the Holy Spirit says to them, 13, 1 to 3, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them to do. So they set out and they go on this mission. They come back to the same place in Antioch. And then this is kind of the second journey where Paul says, hey, let's loop back to all of those people that we ministered to before. There's a big difference between... Uh, Sully and I talk often about this, about modern missions and how missions was done in the New Testament. Modern missions has tended to set up mission stations. Roland Allen points this out in one of his books that he wrote uh, in 1910, Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours. And, and Paul set up churches. That was the way that he did missions. And so they're returning to these churches as kind of a loop back to see how the people are doing. They're going to every city where they proclaim the word of the Lord. Now, verse 37, we find out that there's this clash. It's a kind of personality clash. It's a deep disagreement. It's actually called a sharp disagreement here. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take him with them. John called Mark, who actually happens to be Barnabas' cousin. So Barnabas is like, no, let's, let's, uh, he wants to keep, that Barna, uh, keep John Mark with them. Paul, his mentality is no... John Mark bailed on us previously because he didn't continue in the work. And so uh, Paul says, no, let's not bring John Mark with us. Let's leave him behind. And so verse 39, there you get it. There's a sh there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him. 
and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through uh, Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, all I'm saying here is that life is messy. Like, <laughs> one of the things that I really like about the New Testament is that it, and the Old Testament, is that it doesn't try to airbrush the leaders who lead. Moses is seen to have anger problems and murder problems. Also, he murdered someone. Uh, same with David. The leaders in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see their flaws. They're like the super, superheroes of today that are seen to have an Achilles heel. They have brilliant qualities, but they also have flaws. And there are times, and actually this is part of Marie Kondo's philosophy, is there's times to separate relationally. There are times to move out. This is seen to be in a kind of fallen way, but I love that the, the author, Luke, doesn't just say, you know, let's not keep that part in the Bible, because that wouldn't look so good if Paul was seen to not be able to get along with Barnabas. We don't know the, exactly the total nature of the disagreement, but what's interesting about it is it actually results in growth. So that's, not, that's a little counterintuitive for us, but God can use even the mess of broken relationships to grow the church. You can see that at the end of the chapter, it says they went throughout Syria and Cilicia, and they were strengthening the church. Um, I'm just going to... I'm just going to give a couple ways to think about this and to apply this idea of multiplying for growth. I'm going to just to apply it to you and to me. Um, there are times when you say goodbye to people and you should say goodbye to people for a variety of reasons. And I'm just going to list a couple of them to put it in our context. One of them is if there are new growth opportunities. Um, it was hard to say sayonara to Joel when he went away to do his PhD, but we actually believe that God was calling him to invest himself as a scholar for the next generation of work and gospel work. Same with Ashanti, a beloved friend in the ministry, but there is a new opportunity for him. And so while there's sadness when people separate, there's also opportunities for growth. And sometimes you have to ask yourself, is this an opportunity for growth? There's another reason why it makes sense to multiply for growth. I'm kind of moving from more positive to negative, okay? You'll see this in a second, okay? So another reason is because it gives the opportunity to bring new leaders to the table. In other words, if Paul and Barnabas had stayed together, there would have just been one team of these two leaders and a few other leaders around them when they separated Paul says, hey, I'm going to take Silas with me. Barnabas says, I'll take John Mark with me. And they both add some leaders around them. In fact, you can see that uh, Luke is actually going along with Paul, the author of this. He doesn't like to highlight himself, but if you, uh, if you pay attention to the Bible here, it says in verse 10, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel with them. So Luke decides, hey, I'm going to go along with Paul and Silas. But what's happening is you get these two leadership teams that are emerging. 
Uh, Holy Trinity was planted a long time ago, 23 years ago or so, and had a vision for planting churches in the city. And we've seen God raise up lots of leaders through our collaborative relationships. But there came a time two years ago when uh, the co-founding pastor said to each other, could we get more done if we multiplied churches? And we felt like the answer was yes. And part of the reason was to pull new leaders alongside of us, younger leaders. If you get two 50-year-olds in the same room and the rest of the people are 30 or 40, they just think the 50-year-olds know all the answer. It's not true with Joel. He always thinks he knows the answers. But with, with your average person, you might find that. So there, there are opportunities that are the reason for multiplication. There are opportunities for growth. There are opportunities to bring new leaders alongside. Here, it's because of a difference of opinion. They, they just had different opinions. And what, what the, the Holy Spirit is showing us in this text is that sometimes, for the sake of health, sometimes, for the sake of new opportunities, yes, there does need to be a, a parting of ways. You see this in business all the time, where people say, you know what, um, we need to go our different directions because we're not philosophically unified. And it's actually important, especially in a church where everyone feels like, hey, we're moving together in the same direction. Here's another reason to multiply for growth. And, and I, I would think this is true in personal relationships. There are times when relationships are not healthy and you need to step away. Um, there are times in personal relationships where you have to say, especially if there's, and this is really being highlighted in, in uh, social media right now, especially if there are abusive relationships. It's actually, I believe, biblical to step away. Sure, take some steps, but it's time to step away when there is abuse in relationships. I don't think Paul and Barnabas were at that point, but the principle still remains that there, you need to be thoughtful about when it's time to stay in something in a mission and when it's time to step away. I'm not much of a gardener at all. That's even an overstatement, but the best thing I can do is like about every three years we have these hosta that grow in the front uh, by our fence and every three years or so they kind of get overgrown. Super easy, you just kind of dig them up, you divide them in half and you put half in one place, half of a particular hosta in one spot, and half in another spot, and they both grow, it's amazing. It's like so, unconscious way of gardening. But that's, what, that's true also in gospel ministry and in relationships. Sometimes something will grow better if there is a multiplication that is happening there. So number one principle is to be wise about when it's time personally to multiply a way for growth. The second one is I think that Luke is highlighting a very simple principle which you might call look for leaders. Look for the leaders. There's, in general... There are certain kinds of people who love to create problems, and there's other people who like to solve problems. The second kind is leaders. They, uh, they're the kind of people who, when a problem is brought to them, they like to solve it. And Paul finds someone in this text, this little second little text, verses 1 to 5, who he's going to invest in to the point when Paul is on his deathbed or nearing the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He's basically saying, take the... Take the baton of the gospel from me now and you carry it forward. 
And I love that in the mess, when Paul loses one person, one friendship and a leader, he finds somebody else. So look at verse 1 of 16. Paul also came to Derby and Lystra. This is where they had been previously. A disciple was there named Timothy. It's, some people believe that maybe Timothy was affected by the, the, the mission that they had previously in, the, in uh, the first missionary journey. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And if you read 2 Timothy, it names uh, Timothy's grandmother and his mother which is appropriate for Mother's Day. He's honoring uh, that side of his family. His dad was a Greek who was not a Christian. And what happens is that Paul finds Timothy and starts investing his life in Timothy to the point where Timothy becomes really his, his son in the faith. And uh, this is how Paul addresses Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, 1 verse 2, he says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. I just want you to hear the affection that is there. In, in 2 Timothy 1, 2, he says, to Timothy, my beloved child. And the simple point that I want to make here is that what Paul did with his life is find a few other people and invest in a few other people. Now, no, almost all of us in this room are not called the vocational ministry but what I'm talking, and most of you are extremely busy people, but my question is, can you find 5% of your time, 2% of your time, 10% of your time to invest in one or two other people? That's what, Timothy, that's what Paul did with his whole life. To the point that he says in Philippians that about Timothy, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, but you know Timothy's proven worth how is a son with the father is served with me in the gospel. It's really interesting. He says goodbye to someone, Barnabas at this point. He says goodbye to John Mark, and he finds someone that becomes a lifelong companion to him. That's not the way that I, he was thinking this would go. When they got sent out with Paul and Barnabas, they might have thought, hey, we are going to continue to do this forever. And yet God brought along someone else. And just to be uh, I'll dig down a little deeper here. Not only does Paul find kind of a spiritual son that he begins to invest in, he also finds someone who will advance the mission forward. I want you to think about the cultural context of the day. At that time, Christianity was growing out of Judaism, a Jewish religion. And at that point, almost everybody who had been converted in Acts chapter 2 and following was a Jew. But Paul had this increasing sense that God wanted all the nations, all of the peoples to hear the good news, non-Jews especially. And so when he finds Timothy, he finds a bicultural person. He finds someone who can navigate in the Greek world and navigate in the Jewish world as well. So for us, we look at it as like, oh, that's just an addition to the team. No, it's actually an addition to Paul's team who will help him cross ethnic boundaries, who will help him move into new uh, ethnic mission fields as well. And there's one more kind of interesting thing that happens in, just in this little section here. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I'm going to take you in and have you circumcised as an adult, which is actually shocking in more than one way, but shocking from a missions perspective because... If you had read the previous chapter, 
they had this big council in Acts 15 called the Jerusalem Council. And the conclusion of it was, Gentiles don't need to be circumcised or try to keep the whole law. So the, the sort of informed reader should be reading along and go, what is happening now? They make a decision. In fact, what Paul is asking Timothy to do with him is to deliver the message from the Jerusalem council that people don't have to be circumcised. But before he delivers the message that you don't have to be circumcised, he says you need to be circumcised. So what in the world is happening there? I call this missional flexibility or cultural agility. What Paul is doing, and here's how he puts it in other places. To the Jew, I became a Jew to win the Jews. To the Greeks, I became a Greek to win the Greeks. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. To the strong, I became strong to win the strong. What Paul is doing is he's saying, I will submit myself at times to those whose philosophy is so different from mine so that I might win them to Christ. And uh, it's, you could call it cultural flexibility for the sake of the gospel. You can find that at the end of Rome, sorry, at the end of 1 Corinthians 9, the end of 1 Corinthians 10, at the end of 1 Corinthians 9, he says, though I am free, I've made myself a servant of all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. We live in such a divided world at this time. It's very hard to think through how to apply this. To know, to the unmasked I became unmasked. To the masked I became masked, so to speak. To those who hate social justice, I learned how to speak their language. To those who believe that social justice is the way, I learned to speak their language as well. What the, Paul, the Apostle Paul is doing is showing flexibility. I just want to encourage you to think about your own time, to do what Paul did, to give 5% of your time to investing in someone who's a little bit younger than you in some way to help them grow in the gospel. Uh, this summer... Uh, our women are going to take a break. They're becoming very liberal. They're not going to study the Bible. This summer, they're going to read a book together. But they're doing this because they want to study this principle, actually, of mentoring. How can we help one another grow in Christ? There's a couple books they're looking at. One's called Growing Together, Taking Mentoring Beyond Small Talk and Prayer Requests. So the other one's called Side by Side, Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love. That's what Paul's methodology was. Just finding one other person and investing in them a little bit. I know you don't have much time, uh, but a small investment can go a long way. So multiply for growth is the first principle. Look for leaders, train someone younger. And then the third one is just follow the Spirit. Follow the Spirit in the mess. Essentially what happens is they find a closed door, and then God opens another door. And this is what the mess of life so often looks like. You think that this door is going to be open for you, and then it's like God smashes, closes the door and says, no, this other door is the one that's going to be open for you. They went throughout the region in verse 6 of chapter 16 of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, we don't know exactly what this means, 
or look like having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They were trying to go sort of southeast, but when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And uh, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. One scholar puts it this way, because where they then went was into Europe. So one scholar puts it this way, that the invasion of Europe was not in the mind of Paul, but it was in the mind of the Holy Spirit. And there are times when God takes you and moves you in a direction that you are not anticipating. You thought you were going to go to this school, but that school opened up. You thought you were going to move to this city, but that city opened up. Look for God in the mess. There's a mess of relationships. There's a mess of leadership. There's a mess of closed doors. But look for God in the mess. Um, I had dinner with my parents on Friday night, and it was a really sweet time trying to just tell my mom, we love you. Thank you for investing in me. And uh, our conversation devolved into some slides that I'd never seen before. My mother was a fourth-generation missionary in India. And uh, so we started looking at these pictures of her when she's like five years old. On the, it took a month for her to get from the United States to India. So these pictures of her growing up, she's there until she was 18 years old. But this, the first generation of my parents, or, or, or uh, of my ancestors' work on my mom's side was a guy named Marcus Aurelius Garrison. And his son was Alleluia Irenaeus. Garrison, that's a great name, isn't it? It's free for anyone who would like to use that, Alleluia Irenaeus. Um, what happened to him is in 1950, he came to the end of his life work, he and his wife did, and they really wanted to go to Nepal and to train leaders there. It was illegal to be in Nepal at that time. And so the last three years of their life, they set up their ministry right on the edge of Nepal and kind of trained leaders from this, the border of Nepal, they're discipling leaders. They found a closed door, but they looked to see how it could become an open door. And I'm just going to just do a couple quick practical, practical applications here. One is I, uh, I encourage you to be a person of prayer, to, uh, especially when you are needing to make decisions to seek God's guidance. The scriptures say, knock and the door shall be open to you. Seek and you will find. But sometimes God doesn't open the door and you find a closed door. So practically speaking, bring your life and your opportunities before the Lord. Be a person of prayer. Seek his guidance. Also say, don't put God in a box. This is a little strange. God speaks to him in a dream. That's not how in nowadays we find God normally speaking, but he Paul was clearly directed in this way. We have the scriptures to direct us. We have the Holy Spirit to direct us. And then I'll just, last thing I'll say here is, as you make decisions, in the book of Acts particularly, the Holy Spirit is here to guide you into opportunities for gospel proclamation. In other words, we sometimes think of the Holy Spirit as being there to give us chills or or to comfort us if those things are true. But in the book of Acts, the open doors have to do with sensing the power of God to speak his 
truth. Um, life in the mess is, mur is, is murky. I just want to challenge you today, this, this morning, to look for God in the mess. I'm going to close with uh, the words that my mom closed with on, on that night, on Friday night when we were together. She prayed for different parts of our church and our life and, and, and this work together. And then it opened her eyes and she just looked at us and said, but God has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. And she just said, isn't that great that we have that promise? And I'll say in the mess, isn't it great that God is in the mess with you and has promised that he will never leave you or forsake you? People will leave. Doors were closed, but God is there. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a holy God beyond our comprehension. And we pray this morning that you would help us to see the mess of our lives, but also see the ordering beauty and remember that efficiency isn't the goal. Uh, cleaning up all the mess is not necessarily the goal but sensing your presence with us in the Mass is important. So may we seek you, our holy God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.